following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. The reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Evening, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, I've got a little handout to go around. You probably know that there are lots of letters in the Bible, and uh, we're beginning a study of one of them. Some of the letters are written to individuals, um, maybe church leaders. Others are written to a church, and uh, we're starting this one today called 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, depending if uh, you're influenced for, I don't know, different sides of the Atlantic or by Rob or by Ed, I think. Um, we had both, both names. Essentially, that means the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. So as we get going on this part of the Bible, let's bow our heads and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much that as we read the Bible, your Holy Spirit is with us. The, the author of Scripture, the Spirit himself, you, are with us. Um, we pray that you would open our spiritual sight so that these words on the page would... Um, really uh, go deep into our hearts that we might receive them by faith and understand and live out what you say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church. um, We'll come back in a second to who those people are, the Apostle Paul in the Corinthian church. But imagine for a second that archaeologists discovered a letter... Uh, an apostolic letter written directly to us here at St. Michael's. That would be quite exciting, wouldn't it? Um, The first letter of the Apostle Paul to the Fulwellians. Um, Somehow the experts uh, determined that it's genuine. There it is. We've actually found it. There it is. Um, uh, Obviously, there are lots of reasons to believe the Bible is complete, and there are not going to be things added to it. Um, But go with me. Let's just imagine for a moment a letter's been written to us, our church. Um, So we get really excited. What is the apostle going to say to us, you know, addressed to us? It'd be really nice if he said encouraging things about our faith and our love and our growth and, I don't know, all sorts of nice things. But imagine if we read it and it said things like this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Oh, it's 
a bit uncomfortable. You wouldn't want to hear that. Um, what if it said this? Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Ooh, that's a bit sharp. Um, or this. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? Or this. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court. And this in front of unbelievers. Or this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Oh my goodness, that's a gut punch, isn't it? Your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine hearing that from an apostle. Uh, Or, but this, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Last one. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. How would that lot make you feel if we received a letter that said those things? I'm sure you've guessed it. Those are all quotes from this letter, from 1 Corinthians. Um, I've put the verses those came from on your handout if you want to look them up and, and, and see them later on. It is pretty clear the church in Corinth had big problems, really big problems. You get a sense of some of those in those verses. Some of them were very confused about what to believe, even about the cross and resurrection of Jesus, some of the most essential and basic things. Some of them were very confused about how to live, especially when it came to sex and marriage. There's the guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. We also hear about people from the church feeling it's okay to visit prostitutes. We, We hear, ironically, that other people were saying sex was a bad thing in marriage. And Paul has to spend several chapters discussing that stuff. Uh, One thing that seems to run all the way through the letter is pride. They were really proud of themselves, despite all this stuff. They thought they were a very, very special church, even though, from what we can tell, if you went to their meetings, you'd find a bunch of people looking down on each other and quarreling with each other. So, why study this letter? Is it going to be a bit of a downer? Uh, A bunch of criticisms of their problems every week. Actually, no. Weirdly, no. Despite all the problems that were going on in 1 Corinthians, it is an incredibly encouraging letter. We'll see that already tonight as we get into it. Paul writes to them with a lot of love and care, but not only that, with a massive amount of encouragement and confidence that despite everything, despite all of these problems, God is really at work amongst them and growing them. And the letter is full not only of of sort of help and advice, but hope of what God is going to do amongst them. So for us, (coughs) excuse me, as we get going on 1 Corinthians, why why study this letter? Well, on the one hand, it's great to learn from their mistakes. 
hopefully there won't be too many times when we're reading 1 Corinthians and go, oh, St. Michael's is exactly like that. Because if we do that, we've got big trouble. But there might be all sorts of ways in which we're tempted to do similar things to them. Or we might easily uh, go down the route that they've gone down if we're not careful. God has put this letter in the Bible to, to help us, to make sure that we have reasons to, to not slip into the, some of the same problems that they were giving into. And the second reason, I think um, it's important to say that the pressure that was on them from their culture and actually from inside, from their own sinful hearts, was incredibly similar to the pressure that's on us from our culture and from our sinful hearts. Our society finds it really difficult to make sense of or see the importance of Jesus's death and resurrection. Our culture is incredibly confused about sex and marriage and what that's all about. Our culture is increasingly divided and divisive. Um, have you noticed how pride these days is, is very often held up as the ultimate value, to be proud? Um, something um, that is regarded today as always good and never bad, whereas Previous generations, I thought, I think, recognise um, that pride that there can be a good side to pride, but also humility is often much, much more appropriate and important. It's something that helps us to relate well to others in love and unity. So, um, don't miss this series. I think it's going to be really gripping and really contemporary and help us with a lot of issues that um, face us uh, in our society. So, we're, we're going to be doing chapters one to four in the run up to Easter. And then no doubt in the future we'll come back to um, future bits of the letter from time to time. So for the rest of our time tonight, I want us to look at these opening words of introduction in uh, the beginning of the letter in verses 1 to 9. Um, a really simple way to break it down on your handout. Verses 1 and 2 are greetings. And then verses 3 to 9 are all about grace. So looking at the greetings in verses 1 and 2, and we're going to spend a surprisingly long amount of time on these Greetings in verses 1 and 2, and then just a little bit of time on the rest. Um, have you ever noticed at the beginning of uh, letters in the Bible, they read a bit like emails. You get the from line, and then the to line. Um, sometimes you get a CC line. You get, in Colossians it says, um, when you've read this letter, give it to the church in, in Laodicea. So there's kind of a CC line. Sometimes there's a subject line. Um, and it's a bit uh, tempting to skip over these verses rather quickly, but there are some important things to spot because we learn a lot about Paul and a lot about the Corinthians to set the scene. So in verse 1, what is important to notice about Paul? Paul says he is an apostle, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There's also the other guy, Sosthenes, um, uh, he might be the one acting as a scribe, so Paul might be um, writing things, uh, sort of speaking, and, and Sosthenes writing it down. Um, if you're interested in Sosthenes, write down this reference, uh, Acts 18.17, because it's probably the same person. Uh, there was a chap called Sosthenes who was a synagogue leader in Corinth who became a Christian and then faced a lot of persecution for it. So it's great that, that Paul sends Sosthenes' greetings as well back to his hometown. But back to Paul, there's this important word, apostle. Does anyone know what apostle means? Anyone know? Margaret's got a hand up. 
Sent one, exactly. Apostle means sent one. Somebody who's been sent. Somebody with an urgent message to pass on. I think the closest word in English is probably ambassador uh, or envoy, because it sort of captures that sense of responsibility to to faithfully pass on a message. If you're the the British ambassador, say to France, uh, what is your job? It is to faithfully represent the British government to the French government. You can't just invent stuff if you're the ambassador. You can only really say what you have been commissioned to say. You can't wake up one day and decide to announce a ban on French cheese, just because you feel like it. You can't um, declare that the Britannia and Normandy regions are going to be returned to British rule, much as you might want to declare such a thing. You could only say those things if the UK government has commissioned you to say them. It's exactly the same with Paul as an apostle of Jesus. His role is not to invent or to creatively come up with some new message, but to faithfully pass on exactly what Jesus has commissioned him to say. He uses his own words, sure, but it's God's message. It is Jesus' commissioned message. This is really important for us to understand as we get into uh, some of Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians was not just someone's opinion. If it was just a guy called Paul from 2,000 years ago who was writing this letter, we could treat it like any other writing that we discover in this world. It might be interesting, but not authoritative for us. You can take it or leave it. If you like what he says, take it. If you don't like what he says, leave it. But that's not the case with Paul. Paul was personally appointed, commissioned by Jesus to be his apostle. All of these apostles, this this foundational set of apostles in the New Testament, were eyewitnesses, personal eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. Uh, Paul had his own amazing encounter. You might might remember the story with the risen Jesus on uh, the road to Damascus. He was... um, at the time, hating Christians and persecuting them and trying to get them in prison and and killed. And he met the risen Jesus on that road and was transformed into someone who Jesus chose, the most unlikely person, wonderfully, for Jesus to choose to take his message to the world. And I think you sometimes come across people who say things like, "I, I like the words of Jesus in the Gospels, I can see that they are authoritative because he's the son of God. He's speaking to us. Um, I'm not sure about Paul. I'm not sure how I feel about him. I'm not sure I like what he says very much. And I think we need to say we don't get to choose. Um, We don't get to make that distinction between Jesus and Paul. Paul has his own style of writing, just like all the other apostles, and we might warm to some more than others because they might sort of click with our personality more than others but actually he is Jesus' chosen ambassador um, for what he writes uh, he, he's enabled by God to write scripture for us we haven't got time to look into all the verses that sort of back that up and explain how the Holy Spirit was given in a, a particular way to enable the apostles to write scripture for us, if you're interested in that, chat to me afterwards we can, we can talk about that but it's important to encounter Paul's letters with that in mind the claim is that he is the appointed 
ambassador for Jesus. So that's, that's Paul. What about the Corinthians? Who are they in verse 2? Um, I should say that Corinth was and still is a real place. I got to go and see it a couple of years ago, so forgive the holiday pics. Here we are. Um, that is um, the historic site of old Corinth um, from a couple of thousand years ago. You can see the amazing ruins. You can see what an amazing place it must have been. There's lots of it to wander around. You get a sense of it, it must have been quite a place. Um, there's another one there. Uh, some close-ups of the building. There's one of my kids having some Corinthian ice cream. There we go. Um, so it's a real place. You can go there. If you like maps, it's, it's here in Greece, not far from Athens. And uh, the most important thing Paul says to the Corinthians is in verse 2 that they belong to Jesus. So talking about himself, he says he's Jesus' apostle. Talking about them, he says they are Jesus' church. And that is the most important thing, to think of ourselves here at St. Michael's. What is St. Michael's above all? It belongs to God. We, as the church here, belong to him far more than our, our location, whether Corinth or Teddington or anywhere else, far more important than our ethnicity or our nationality, whether we're Greek or British or anything else. Far more important than careers or economic status or personality or anything else is that as a church, we belong to Jesus. We are his. That is us too, just as much as it was uh, the Corinthians. And Paul in, in, in verse 2, as he talks about them, talks in particular about holiness. Uh, he talks about those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Um, sanctified, I don't know if you know this, the word sanctified means holy. For some reason we've got two groups of words in English. Uh, there's the sanctified group of words, like sanctuary and sanctified and saint and those, those kind of words. And there's the holy group of words, like holy and holiness. They all mean exactly the same thing. There's only one set of words in, in Greek that they translate. So uh, it can get a bit confusing when there's talk of sanctification and talk of holiness. It's all the same thing. And it all means being set apart, uh, being made different, being, being set apart from the world for God. Living a holy life means living a life that is set apart and different for the Lord. Now, wait a minute. How can Paul address this church that is in such an absolute state, getting so much wrong, including in how they're living, and say that they are sanctified, holy? How can he say that when their beliefs and relationships and lifestyles are in such a mess? Well, look really closely at verse 2, because there are two different kinds of holiness that he talks about. One has happened already, and the other is an ongoing process. So have a look in verse 2. Can you see that they are already sanctified to those sanctified in Christ Jesus? In one sense, they're already sanctified, made holy. They're already God's set-apart holy people because they trusted in Jesus. God has already declared them holy. He's given them that as a status. They, they are God's holy set-apart people once and for all. And they have that 
status, that declaration from God, even though their church is in such a mess. But, look at that other kind of holiness in verse 2, which is a calling. They are called to be God's holy people. In other words, God has made them holy, and now he calls them to live that out in holy lives. God made you holy, so be holy. Live it out. Be, be who you are. Let, let God's holy status that he's given you transform your life. And if we're Christians, it's exactly the same for us. We come to Christ, who uh, forgives us, makes us his own. And one of the things he does is to declare us holy, declare us his, set apart for him. But now we're called to express that in our lives, to, to live it out. That is God's calling on, on you and me if you're following Jesus and Christians everywhere, according to verse 2. Be who you are. Live it out. And uh, we often hear that kind of language from the world around us. Be yourself. Be who you are. And they don't really mean it this way, but maybe as Christians, if somebody says that to us, we, we should think to ourselves, well, who am I, really? If I trust Jesus, then, then I belong to God. That is the deepest reality now of, of who I am. He's, he's made me holy, so I want to be holy. I want to live holy lives. I want to I be holy like God is holy. <coughs> Excuse me. So that is a bit about Paul and a bit about the Corinthians. That's actually the majority of the talk <laughs> from verses 1 and 2. Let us really quickly dive into verses three, and, uh, 3 to 9 because this is all about grace. Verse 3, Paul's uh, uh, words to the Corinthian church say this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to really quickly show you something. So if you're holding a Bible, turn back one book of the Bible to Romans. And um, look at the first chapter of Romans, page 1128. And uh, look at the end of verse 7. Here's what Paul says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, ready to flick? Um, look at the last page of Romans, page 1143, the page before we're, we're studying in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, I've lost where it is. Yeah, here we go. Sorry, verse 20, end of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace at the beginning, grace at the end. We've seen grace at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Um, flick to the end of 1 Corinthians. Um, chapter 16, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, I'm not going to take you through every single one of Paul's letters, but you could do that, and you will find at the beginning... And the end of every single one of Paul's letters, grace to you. The thing that Paul longs for all of the churches to know more than anything else is God's grace. How important must grace be? Grace is so important. That's why I've not put it in verses 1 and 2 with the greetings. It's not just a greeting. It's not just Paul's way of saying hello. Grace is... It means gift, God's gift, his free gift to us. Which might feel like a, a weird thing to 
put at the beginning and the end of every letter. Uh, free gift to you. God's free gift to you. But grace, grace is, is one of the things that makes Christianity, makes trusting in Jesus different from absolutely everything else. I really mean this. You might find the words uh, grace uh, and some of the words like that in other belief systems. You might find little bits of free gifts here and there. But when it comes down to it, every other belief system, every other religion in the world says this. You've got to do it. You have to earn your salvation. You need to obey the Torah to be an acceptable Jew. You need to keep Sharia law or the five pillars to be an acceptable Muslim. You've got to do it. You, you have to achieve inner enlightenment in order to attain to nirvana. Or, or you have to achieve enough good karma uh, to enter a, a better reincarnation. Even distortions of Christianity tend to swerve away from grace. Um, people start saying, well, yeah, God's grace is, is, is nice, but ultimately it's down to you. It is only Jesus, only the message of Jesus in the Bible that says it's all grace. Every single bit of our relationship with God, every single bit of our salvation is grace. It is grace alone that saves us. Nothing we can do uh, contributes to our salvation. Good works are very, very, very important. That will become clear as we go through the letter. But why do we do them? Not to earn salvation or God's favour or a relationship with him. Good works are, are to be done in response to God's grace. Because we're so amazed by God's grace that we want to live for him. And we've got to know this. We've got to be clear. You'll only find grace. You'll only find 100% grace in Jesus. You can't get that anywhere else. And that, this, this amazing grace, 100% grace by which we're saved, is the reason Paul could write such a positive letter to this disaster of a church. He's so encouraging to these, these people who are in such a mess. Why was there hope for them? Not because they were yet showing much sign of sorting themselves out and improving their situation. The hope for a church in a mess is God's grace. So, mega, mega briefly, I want to look at the way Paul talks about grace in verses 4 to 9. Because you can see him talking about God's grace in the past and the present and the future. In the past, in verse 4, it says, God has already given his grace in Christ Jesus. We know that, don't we? Jesus has already come. He's already come to save us. He's already taken our sins away when he died for us. He's already given us new life when he rose again. He's already poured out God's presence on us when he gave the Holy Spirit to the church. If we trust in him, he's already given us forgiveness and righteousness and adoption into his family and a relationship with him that lasts forever. There's so much more that we could say he's already given us. Verse 5 talks about how they've already been enriched with all kinds of gifts already. Speech and knowledge. Um, they may be messing things up when they use those gifts of speech and knowledge, as we find out later in the letter. But the fact that God has given them those gifts 
it shows that he's given them extraordinary grace already in the past. Loads and loads of God's grace has been poured out in the past. And then in the present, in verses 6 and 7, it says God is at work amongst them. They are becoming Christians through uh, the message of Paul and through others. And the Holy Spirit is deeply at work in them in verse 7. Uh, There's lots and lots about the work of the Holy Spirit later on in the letter. So we'll get there uh, in due course. And finally, God's grace in the future, in verses 8 and 9. God's going to keep them firm to the end and make them blameless on that day. Even the Corinthians are going to be blameless on that day. And he's going to do it in verse 9 because he is faithful. Not because they've been particularly great, they haven't. But because he is faithful. And you've got to, even this far into the letter, say, this is incredibly encouraging, isn't it? Would you have expected Paul to start his letter to such a problematic church like this? As we finish, I'd love us all to take away from tonight what we sang earlier, that God's grace is amazing. Really, really amazing. It's why we have such hope. It's why we never need to give up. God didn't give up on on that church, the Corinthian church, when it seemed to be getting just about everything wrong. God won't give up on you when you face struggles and sometimes get things very wrong. When we mess up, what is it that God wants to do? He wants to bring us back to his grace. He wants to pour out that grace afresh into our life. If our church makes mistakes... What does God want to do? He wants to bring us back to his grace. When you feel a failure, when you wonder how God could still accept you, when you want to hide from him, when you want to push him away, when you don't feel like you can show your face in church, what does God want to do? He wants to bring you back to his grace. I don't know where you're at and how you're feeling tonight. I don't know if you're feeling confident in your faith or feeling very shaky, very weak in your faith. I don't know if you feel you're walking closely with the Lord or you've drifted far. I don't know if you're sure you're really a Christian at all. I don't know if you're here just to ask questions and investigate and look into things. One thing I, I know from this is that what God wants you to know more than anything else is his grace, his free gift to you of rescue through Jesus, his salvation, his love, his adoption, his life forever, which is past and present and future and can be yours. So wherever we're at tonight, let God pour his grace into your heart, into your mind, into your life. Let's pause and pray. Perhaps the band want to come up. In a moment... We're going to sing an amazing song. We've sang lots of amazing songs about God's grace, but um, we're going to sing another as we finish to remind us of how incredible his grace to us is. Let's pray before we do that. God, our Father, we all need your grace. And Father, we, we sometimes forget that, or sometimes we think it's not available to us. 
or sometimes we doubt whether you still want to give us your grace. Lord, help us to be reminded by this wonderful message to a church that was so full of problems that your longing for us is not to be battered away for our failings and our sins, but that we might come back to you again and again and see in you this incredible invitation, this amazing grace that we might receive from you, that we might know you as our Father, that we might be assured that your longing for us is to take us to be with you forever, not to push us away. Pray, Lord, that grace would mean more and more and more and more to every single one of us as we go through our lives, that we might love you and live for you. In Jesus' name.